sharing our faith and passion for the Lord Jesus Christ with others is a desire of Zion Christian Fellowship. Our prayer is that this message will have a lasting impact on your life and draw you closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. This message is not copyrighted. You are free to make copies for friends and neighbors. We only ask that you copy it in its entirety without alterations or changes. Now unto the King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Greetings this morning. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know how long it's been since we were here in church, but I see some new faces. Praise God. Trust we can been enjoying the service. Trust we can continue to have a blessed time together. Um, I'm one of those that when I don't know the people where I am, I sometimes sort of struggle. I feel I should feel a little bit where people are. Um, And I found that coming here. But another thing I had coming here was we have been through some real challenges as a church. And... I don't know your details, but I understand you've been through some real challenges. So there's a real familiarity that comes with that for me. Maybe a a sympathizing, I'm not sure, an identity of, I identify with that, and just the challenge of it. And as I thought about what to share this morning, uh, um... I found myself saying, Lord, what do I say here? And I just felt a clear direction to go back to some basics, real, real basics. Sometimes when we're in the midst of all of the things that are going on, it's good to come back just to some basics and... As I thought about this, I had the keen awareness, you know, I don't know you where you are. Some of you I know somewhat in life, but I haven't been here. Um, So I really don't know how this will relate. If your heart is encouraged and you have some more joy in your heart when this is done, praise God. Uh, I, I don't know how this will relate, but I'd like you to turn to the book of Genesis this morning. title this morning is Caught in Sin. There's a whole lot that could relate to this looking at it. One of the burdens I have is, as we are in the midst of challenges and struggles in real life, all of a sudden we can end up being caught in sin. And sin sits in places that we trust it won't. 
I've had the experience numerous times in life to find serious sin in places where you fully trusted somebody. And there it is. And if it does not come out and it's dealt with, we'll go to eternity and God is not a compromiser on sin. God is not going to say, oh, so-and-so offended you. Yeah, I understand. God is not going to say, you know, those hurts were very deep. I'm going to let you slide by. God's not going to say that. I appreciate it. The example was given here this morning that God is not a harsh God. But God has clearly laid some things out. He's going to go by it. It's up to us what we're going to do with it. How I respond to life makes the difference of how things will turn out with me. I can let the gall of bitterness eat me. And that's not God's responsibility. That's mine. And I'm not going to rehearse my life, but I've had some really deep valleys. Just so you know, there's things that have happened to me that have been very unfair. You can declare them to be wrong. And I wonder if there's anybody else in this room that's had anything happen to them that's not fair. I should ask, is there anybody that's not had it? The truth is we all face life and how we respond to it is what makes the difference. So Genesis chapter, I'm going to mostly look at part of chapter 3. But Genesis chapter 2, I'd like to read verse 16 and 17. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And I think we all know this applies to all of us as humanity. The first Adam partook of it. It passed to everybody. There's another Adam that was brought on the scene later. We will talk about that. But yet, in each one of our lives, we have things that God says, don't do that. And if we're going to sow that seed, we're going to reap that seed. And it's not God's fault. It's not anybody else's fault. God has clearly given a directive how to order our lives. So as we go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 7, I'd like to just sort of go over it lightly and look heavier at the next portion after that. I had had a message on the first seven uh, verses and given it a title of The Origin of Sin. This is the origin of sin. First, we looked at the subtle enemy in verse 1. 
We have a subtle enemy. He's tricky. He's smooth. He's subtle. This subtle enemy questions God. I don't know if we've ever done that. Question God. You know, you start out the morning and there's that cloud hanging over. You're coming into a crisis. And Lord, this is not going to work. Where's God in this? God, why did you bring me here? We can say that out of sincerity. But when we personally turn it to God to question Him, whether it's right or wrong, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. Another thing about this subtle enemy is that he lied. Satan lied. He doesn't say the truth. We're going to hear things in our minds, in our heads, maybe from people that are not true. They're lies. The brother that had the children's lesson, he could have been concocting a wonderful story here about how that I don't know what that weed was called. You get that wheat, a seed out and we can grow some soybeans. And if he's the best salesman here and he pours himself into it, we all know that is not true. It's not true. It's not going to turn out right. And yet the adversary tells us lies just like that. And we believe him. He's a liar. A liar and the father of it. Another thing he tells is you're missing out in verse 5. There's all these things that God is holding, withholding from you. God knows that if you would eat this fruit, you learn to know the knowledge of good and evil, and you can be like God. God's holding things from you. You know, really, there's all this area that you could discover. It's rightfully yours. You really could have so much more enjoyable a time. Why, it'd be so fulfilling. God's restraining you. There's all these restrictive things. God's restraining you. Then in verse 6, we saw the entertaining of temptation. The entertaining of temptation. Where it's looked at. Where it's considered. It's thought about. It's evaluated. And this may look different in our lives. The account here in Genesis chapter 3. It would appear like it's a fairly short consideration. But there's times that we walk away from it. And we're still thinking about it. And then we come back and we look at it again. We may even be weighing what God said and what the temptations say. But there's an evaluation going on. We look, we think, and then the moment comes that we begin to touch. And when we yield to touching, the next thing that follows is we taste. 
And you can apply that to other areas other than picking a fruit off of a tree. It will follow that pattern. We look at it. We think about it. And then the time comes. We reach out. We touch it. And then we partake. We taste. The woman saw the tree, that it was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. And she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband, and he did eat. Adam and Eve literally disobeyed God. But that's what people do today. We literally disobey God and end up in sin. Look, think, touch, taste. There was a seventh point that we considered in the origin of temptation, and that is heart conditions that cause us to fall into temptation. And I'd like to list them quickly here. An unyielded heart, an independent heart, a rebellious heart, a proud heart, a careless heart. And a discouraged heart. I don't know if you've ever felt that. But when you're discouraged, you feel defeated. The joy is gone. Danger. Danger. A faint heart. When we feel exhausted and weary. Something I remember learning as a young Christian. I was zealously serving the Lord. Then I get that point where I get sort of down a little bit. And that's when the adversary came to trip me up. And I began to realize he can't mess with Christians unless they're a little bit faint and discouraged. When we have joy bubbling out of our hearts, it causes us to have strength. David encouraged himself in the Lord. Another one is a curious heart. A curious heart. The Bible tells us to be simple concerning evil. A curious heart gets us in trouble. Romans 16.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. James 1.15, when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Romans 5.12, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. I'd like to start at verse 7 this morning. Their eyes were opened. And that's simply the point. Their eyes were opened. The eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked. So a question I'd like to ask, what did God say would happen to them if they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? It's not a hard 
Question? Die. God said they would die. What did God mean when he said they would die? When they ate of that fruit, they didn't pile up dead right there. What did God mean when he said they would die? They're still walking around. In fact, they're making themselves coverings out of leaves. Does this mean that God's word didn't come true? Was Satan right after all? And we have something similar happening to us today. I appreciated the point that was made this morning that there's a delay between sowing and reaping. Well, there is something that happens right away as well. God had said, you eat of this tree, you're going to surely die. The serpent said, you eat of this tree, you're going to learn, be like God's, and know what good and evil is. Now we have two different stories. But they were separated from God immediately when they ate the fruit. Their eyes were opened. They saw their own nakedness. They saw each other's nakedness. There was an immediate change that they became aware, oh, well, look at it. Look at me. Look at you. Uh, What are we going to do here? That happened right away. That happened right away. They were embarrassed. Their minds became evil. Their attitudes toward their bodies changed. You see, God always does what he says. God never changes. He doesn't forget what he said. You eat of this tree, you're going to die. God doesn't forget that. Maybe what God says and means doesn't quite compute with us. But what God said is right. And in time, we will see that God is right. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not short, that it cannot save. Neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. He says, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear, because the wages of sin is death. When lust is conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. So as the hand reached out, took of that fruit, and they partook of it, their eyes were opened. There was an immediate dagger of death that went through that soul. There's an immediate dagger of death that went through that soul. Through temptation, sin is made to look wonderful, so good. But when his sin is finished, it brings forth death. It separates from God. It causes misery. It causes guilt. And we call it a burden, a weight of sin upon us. So have our eyes been opened? It could be that you're sitting here as an innocent child, but all of a sudden your eyes are opening to who you really are before God. And you realize you're lost. 
realize I've sinned. I'm separated from God. This could be happening to us as adults. We disobey God. We, we realize something's not right. Especially when it's time to think about dying. All of a sudden, there's a fear that comes up. People that face death get painfully honest about where they are with God. Now, none of us has chosen to be born in sin. But if we are in sin, we need to realize our condition. We can choose to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. We can choose to repent. We can choose to confess our sin. We can choose to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are our choices. It's available here for us. Let's go on with number seven for point number two. The eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. So here they are. Their eyes are opened. Their attitude about their own bodies has changed. The way they think has changed. And they immediately say, we've got a problem. We do something about this. So the first thing they do is they go about getting some leaves together and try to cover themselves a bit. Now a fig leaf is not like the maple tree out here. The fig leaf is a big leaf. It looks a lot like the maple, but it's big. There was a, I researched it, and there was a variety of sizes. It could have been this big, and being in the Garden of Eden, maybe they were really big. And when it talks about sewing them together, it really becomes conceivable that you could make yourself a bit of a skirt with a fig leaf. Now, the plant the brother had here this morning was pretty, he picked it this morning. That was, I think, pretty evident. By tomorrow morning, what will that plant look like? And imagine fig leaves doing that very thing. That was a very weak effort in trying to cover up. And yet that's what they were doing. So they're trying to provide their own needs. Before they they were separated, they were looking to God to provide for everything they needed and had. But now they're trying to do it by themselves. They're no longer trusting God to give them what they need. They began to think and reason for themselves. Before, they didn't need to do that. And clothe themselves with fig leaves. They're trying to live independently from God. They're trying, perhaps they reasoned that if they closed themselves, God would notice, wouldn't notice that anything happened. I don't know what they were thinking. See, they've been meeting with God. They've been interacting with God. And they expect God's going to show up. How are we going to explain what just took place here? They're trying to look good before God. Maybe if there'd have been more people, they'd have definitely been trying to look good in front of people. 
And sin will sit in places just like that. Sometimes we're least expected. Everything looks like it's all together, all right, everything's fine. But all of a sudden, there's an ugly head of sin. Trying to be a respectable person, making a good impression with my friends, appearing on the surface to have it all together. But we don't want to talk about the real person of me on the inside. Just being a quiet and peaceful person, making a spiritual profession on the surface. Maybe I've backslidden in my life, but I don't want others to know what's really going on inside in the real me of my life. But you know, God knows. God knows. God understands it all. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the heights of his stature, because I refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. What's going on inside? God sees our sinful nakedness. He sees all that. The nature of man is cover it up, conceal it, cover it up like this. We get really good at conniving conversations so that it comes out right for me. Some people get so good at covering up they hardly know how to be real. Hardly know how to be real. The lie people can live for years is staggering. Staggering. The lie that people can live for years. Let's go on to number three. Verse eight. Hiding from God. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And I think this is a regular occurrence and they knew this was coming. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. Now they have to deal with God. They have to deal with God. This thing's done. We can't undo it. We're in this situation. There's no getting out. They're trying to cover up. So the best thing to do is hide. God comes in the cool of the day. The best thing we can do is hide. It says, Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees. That's what we tend to do when we're caught in sin. We cover it and we hide. We cover and we hide. Just mark that down. This is really, really basic. 
When we get caught in sin, we want to cover and hide. And I'm just going to say some. This is not in my notes. But if you're in the midst of discerning Christians, they will discern something isn't right here. Something isn't right. Sometimes they'll discern pretty accurately what's going on in your life. The next time they're just, I'm not sure what it is, but something isn't right. I've seen a few cases in life where for me it was just, well, I have some concern there. I don't know why. I just have some concern. And the sin that can come out of that person's life is unbelievable. But I'd like to tell you, if you're sitting here with sin in your heart, you're not deceiving God's people near like the devil tells you you are. It's not true. He's a liar. He's a liar. But a response here is hiding from God when we get caught in sin. Our eyes open and we know what just happened. And we know that we're separated from God. We try to cover our failures. Then God calls, questioning us, putting his finger right on the sin. And our conscience is just screaming that right there, right there, right there, right there. And we have to decide what we're going to do with it. And yet inside is a struggle that I don't want to agree with God that I'm wrong. I don't want to agree with God. I had the right to try that. Maybe it came upon me and I felt a little bit trapped and what was I supposed to do? It's not my fault. I don't want to agree with God that I'm wrong. So what do I do? I hide. I hide. So Adam and Eve, before they were separated from God, they loved God. They wanted to talk with God. But when God came to them after they had disobeyed, Adam and Eve went and hid themselves. The attitude toward God had completely changed. Completely changed. And it was because they're caught in sin. Because of their disobedience, they were no longer God's friends. And no matter how we look on the outside, if sin is in our lives, we need to deal with it. And it'll cut us off from God. When God first made Adam and Eve, they were of one mind with God. Everything was peaceful and together. But that was no longer true. Something had happened. Now they were of one mind with Satan. He's the compromiser. He's the deceiver. He's the proud one. He's the rebellious one. He's anti-God. Because that they disobeyed God, 
God's commandment, they were ashamed and they were afraid of God. Where are we today? Is any of us sitting here covering sin? Covering hurts? Covering feelings? Being locked up? In the midst of hard things, that happens to us. Maybe I'll just, there's a burden I have had that I'm going to be delving into in the next half year. But I think there's a sin of offense in the church today where we take up an offense and we nurture that offense and we baby that hurt and we justify that whatever it was and it's because of somebody else. And God looks at it and says, you know what? You're responding wrong. And God can't help us if we will baby that hurt. His joy will be all gone. His grace won't be available because we're shutting it off. We're not agreeing with God about who we really are. We expect everybody to be perfect and I'm a sinner. What are we nursing? God wants us to just open up and be honest and be real and let go. The Bible teaches if we don't forgive others, we will not be forgiven. And brothers, I tremble with this thing because this comes in here. If I'm nursing my hurts that somebody else did to me, that means I'm holding on to that and I am not forgiving. The news is, it does not affect the other person. It affects me. It affects me. God looks at it and says, you don't forgive the other person, you won't be forgiven. And I don't believe God's a compromiser. Brothers, that is not hard-hearted. That is being honest with the truth. That is being honest with the truth. Like I told you at the beginning, I don't know your details. And maybe I'm completely missing it. But with my age and experience in Christian life, in the church, these are patterns that have repeated themselves. In fact, I'm pretty persuaded it's probably sitting here because I've seen it that consistently. We must forgive. Where are we today? So young children, when they deliberately disobey their parents, do they want to be near their parents? A child that just disobeyed, does it come and say, Daddy, Mommy, and just look them right in the face and it's just such a sweet relationship? Somehow, something different takes place. There's this Yeah, yeah. You know, somehow eye contact doesn't happen. There's a little bit more of a... Things have just changed. And this may be a good illustration for us of how we relate to God. When sin 
comes in our hearts and lives, it covers us over and cuts us off from God. We cover, we hide. We need to move on. Number four, God calls. In verse nine, the Lord God called unto Adam and he said, where art thou? Because Adam and Eve didn't come to meet God and talk with him, God called Adam. Why did God call Adam? I mean, after all, didn't God know just right where they are? He just could have come right over behind that whatever they're looking and say, and say, yeah, there you are, I see. Yeah, gotcha. What's going on, boys? God didn't do that. God said, Adam, where are you? Adam, I'd like to meet with you. I'd like to talk with you. I'd like to communicate. I'd like to fellowship with you. Why did God do that? God called Adam because he cared about Adam. He wanted Adam to agree, God, I'm hiding because I disobeyed you. I got myself in trouble. God, you said we shouldn't eat of that tree, and I ate. God is giving Adam that opportunity. giving Adam and Eve that opportunity. He's giving them the opportunity to agree that what God had said was the truth and was right. He was giving them that opportunity. See, God is always true and God is always right. Even though God had said, if you eat of this tree... You're going to die. That didn't change. God still loved Adam and Eve. God still cared about them. In the end, he drove them out of the garden because they could not take part of the tree of life having sinned. God could not allow that to happen. But God loved them. God has not changed. He still calls us today even though we may not hear his voice in an audible sense, and yet we hear his voice, don't we? We know in our heart, we know in our conscience. It's like literally a voice speaking in our minds. We know. We hear the voice of God. He speaks through his word. He speaks through the foolishness of preaching. He speaks through the conscience. It is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. We have this negative view about repentance. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It brings freedom. It brings deliverance. Point number five in verse 10 and 11. The fear and shame of being exposed. This one keeps many people in bondage. Adam said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. 
God said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? So fear and shame of being exposed is what causes people to cover up, to hide, to run from God. Sin is disobedience to God. It brings fear. It causes people to turn away from God. When God created Adam and Eve, there was no fear. Can we even comprehend that? There was no fear. There was nothing in the world to fear. God was their friends. No animals would hurt them. All the world was good and beautiful. Sickness and death did not exist. Disobedience to God is the reason we have fear in this world. We may not like to talk about our fears, but each of us have them. We could be afraid of being sick. sick. We could be afraid of death. We could be afraid of financial ruin and losing our job and the economy crashing. We could be afraid of enemy attack. Afraid of dying and meeting our creator. That's a universal one. Afraid of people finding out who I really am. If my sin is exposed, I will feel naked and exposed, which is very uncomfortable and embarrassing. I expect we have all seen those situations when someone had to come out and face up with who they've been and the life they've lived. And it's very embarrassing. It's very uncomfortable. But if we meet God in that state, there's no hope. God is a God of truth and righteousness. He cannot lie. There's no hope. First Corinthians 10, verse 12 and 13. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. He says, there's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. It's sin that separates us from God and causes us to be afraid of God. The nakedness of the real person we are inside causes us to be ashamed before God. But our problems, can I say your problems, make it personal. And struggles are common to man. There's this big lie that has been peddled for years. You're the only one that struggles with this. No one else faces what you face. I wouldn't tell anybody about it. They all think you're strange. Look at how, think about how they're all going to look down on you when you really find out who you are. But in the midst of the church, it should be a safe place. Brothers and sisters, this is the place to uncover it. This is the place to come out with it. And if there's a critical brother or sister 
in the church pointing the one that comes out. The only question I have for you is what are you covering up? What are you covering up? You see people finding fault with others when they confess their sin. It's wrong. It's not the heart of God. It's not the way into heaven. We don't rejoice over sin. But when sin is exposed and dealt with, that's what the Lord Jesus Christ came for. God has provided a way of escape through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we've been talking about covering and hiding, and there's one more. And we'll look at it next, and that is blaming. Blaming. Those are the three things you see happening here in response to being caught in sin. Blaming. Genesis chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. The man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. When a person gets caught for something he does wrong, he usually blames someone else. That is so common today. You just look around and be aware of it. And can I say when it's me that needs to say, I'm sorry. I failed there. I'm sorry. I got in the flesh there. Maybe I did something else. I need to take responsibility and own it. Own it. Own it. The first thing Adam did here is he blamed God. Lord, the woman you gave me. God had said in chapter 2, it is not good that man should be alone. He caused a deep sleep to come over Adam and he slept. And God took a rib out of his side and out of it he made a woman. And, And God is saying this is a good thing. Adam, you need this. It's not good you're alone. Adam was really wild by it, but now this very woman. Lord, this woman you gave me. Oh, brothers and sisters. When we blame God, we're on the wrong track. We're headed in the wrong direction. God allows things in our lives I believe he's a sovereign God. I've come to rest that not everything in my life that happens to me is necessarily right, but God allowed it. What am I going to do with it? If there's sin in it, God is not justifying that. But God allowed it into my life. And am I going to turn around and point my finger at God? Lord, you let this come into my life. Now look at what it did to me. Adam blamed God. Then he blamed Eve. It was her idea. I'm just trying to be a peaceful husband. I mean, us men, we think about things. We reason. It has to make sense. So now here she comes, and she has this fruit from the wrong tree, and... 
says she ate, and he gave to her husband, and he ate. So now if she ate and I don't eat, we're in complete disunity. I better eat. Isn't that how we would think? I'm just trying to be peaceful. God looks at it and says, Adam, you ate. You're a man of choice, and you ate. You ate. But Adam's pointing his finger first at God, then he's pointing at Eve. Eve blames the serpent. The serpent beguiled me and deceived me. I mean, he lied to me. He made this look wrong. Now we're in this mess. The serpent told me all the benefits and told me how I deserve this. We may try to do what Adam and Eve did. In fact, we do try to do what Adam and Eve did. But God knows everything. He'll not allow us to escape what's rightfully ours when it comes sowing and reaping time for our sin. It'll be there. Sin destroys. It'll be there. Sometimes an innocent person is punished because the one who did the wrong puts the blame on the other person. That does happen. That's what our Lord Jesus took upon himself. He took my sins upon him. He was not to blame. But God is all-knowing and will not change. Whatever slipped past man's justice will not slip past God's justice. God sees correctly. Nobody deceives God. God's judgment is firm. It is unchanging. He is holy and righteous, and he knows everything. He knows the thoughts and intents of our hearts. He will always do exactly what he said he will do. And we will all stand before God one day and give account for our lives. We will answer for what we did and how we responded. It won't be somebody else's fault. We won't stand before God with our point finger pointed over there at that other person. Oh, my dad. Oh, my mom. That preacher. This employer over here. None of that is going to happen. Oh, my brother. He did all kinds of things. If you just know how my sister ruled over me. God isn't going to have any of that. Even if it's true, we're going to stand before God and give answer for the things that I did with my life and how I lived. We're going to give answer. We're going to give answer. If we have sin in our lives and we're hiding it, just mark these words. Our names will not be in the Lamb's book of life. It will not be in the Lamb's book of life. And God is not going to let us blame somebody else. If we're covering and hiding and blaming, we need to do business with God. We do business with the Lord Jesus Christ. And point number seven this morning is, Christ is your only hope. Christ is your only hope. The wages of sin is death, 
And because of what happened in Genesis chapter 3, sin is passed upon everybody. And you and I didn't have a choice in that. But what you and I have had a choice about is how we're conducting our lives. And I don't think there's a one of us here that has lived a life that would be right according to the word of God and the holiness of God if it wasn't for Genesis chapter 3. My, if it wasn't for Genesis chapter 3, I'd be in. There's not a one of us that would measure up to that. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19 to 22. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by one man death came death, by one man also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of the truth. So we can go back to the Garden of Eden and say it's Adam's fault. It's Eve's fault. If they wouldn't have brought us here, we wouldn't have this mess. Well, God said, I'm going to make a way for you to get an escape out of the whole thing. And he sent the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. He lived a holy life, a sinless life, the spotless lamb. Then he gave his life. The wages of sin is death. And he gave his life that we might have life. As a sinless being, he died for us. That we can have life. He could have been pointing fingers everywhere. He said, he came, he said, this is the purpose I came for. To die for everybody else's sin. He tells us to take up the cross and follow him. How much pain am I willing to suffer? How much misuse am I willing to endure? How many kid gloves does everybody have to handle me? Or can I be a humble brother, sister that says, you know what? I deserve to die. I don't deserve all this wonderful treatment. I deserve to die. I deserve to die. Romans chapter 5. Going to read several verses here. Verse 8 says, God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Verse 12, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Verse 17, for if by one man's offense death reigned by one, he says, much more. Much more, they which have received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's obedience many were made disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Verse 21, For as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And this is not a cheap grace that overlooks sin. This grace reigns through righteousness and the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to agree with God. I'm wrong. I've sinned. I deserve to die. God is my creator and he rightly owns me. We need to come to grips with that. God is my creator and he rightly owns me. I belong to him. And he has the right to tell me what to do. I'm his creation. God has the right to tell me what to do. And it isn't someone else's fault. It isn't God's fault. It's, oh God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Oh God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. I need to acknowledge that I'm a sinner, that I'm lost. I need to confess my sin. And we confess our sin. Let's be honest and open about it. Sometimes we try to barely confess it. Just say what we can get by with. No, dump the bucket. Dump the bucket. Believe in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ for remission and forgiveness of my sin. Instead of cover, hide, and blame, we need to repent, confess, and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Instead of cover, hide, and blame, we need to repent, confess, and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see if I've come to him and dealt with the sin issue in my life. May the grace of God be upon your hearts. Lord bless you.